The Creepshow podcast contains content that is not suitable for younger listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Foolish mortals, and welcome to the Creep Show podcast, Halloween Spooktacular. All right, um, we have some special guests today. We brought back Preston and Roy. Hey, and your favorite course, queers are here. <laughs> and of course, we have Ashley, as always. Yeah, this is me. She's the world's <laughs> best bag hag ever. <laughs> I can say that I'm gay. I can say that I'm gay. Um, so we hope everybody's doing good. I hope everybody's uh, having a good spooky season. And uh, how's everybody doing? Um, a little intoxicated, just to let you know. I am drinking wine. I've already had half a bottle. I have a hard time. I think growing up as a kid, if I if I was thinking as me as a kid, my my quality candies that I was always uh, like after was dots. Yeah. Dots were like. That seems to run oh, in our yeah. family. Everybody in our family loved dots. Maybe that's why I love dots, dots because yeah. there was always around. Uh-huh. Although the fucking candy I hated. The uh, candies that were like the shit candy and you're just sitting there like, why the fuck do you even hand these out? Were the, what, and you just looked them up. Peanut butter kisses. They're the little fucking peanut butter caramel looking candies yeah. that were wrapped in the black and orange uh, uh, wax paper. Yeah. And grandma it, it, always had. Yeah, grandma always had. And, and you know damn well, you like as soon as the, an old person answered the door, like as soon as some grandma or like great grandmother <laughs> answered the door, you were getting those fucking candies and it was disappointing. <laughs> they were good. Sorry to offend anyone those. who loves those to each their own. No, they're peanut butter. They're like, like these them. peanut butter. I couldn't like, tell what, what the flavor was. I remember um, those of you who listen to our podcast that actually are in the Springfield, Illinois area. I don't know if there's any. Um, no, those those who are of millennial age would know that Panther Creek was the place to go to get your full-size candy bars. Yeah, the and. Right. Rich, but but your parents, as much as you begged your parents to go to Panther Creek to get those goddamn full size candy bars, I didn't know that was a thing. If I knew that was a thing, (laughs) you didn't know that. Oh, girl, yes, it's the rich neighborhood. Do you remember what my pants? Where my parents are? No, that's all the way near Springfield. We're not driving that far for you just to go. You know what the Mm. great thing about having divorced parents? (laughs) The great thing about living. With with divorced parents, you lived with your dad in the town that you lived in. Had two nights of trick or treating. You trick or treated the night before with your dad, and then your mother fucking took you over to Mechanicsburg so that yeah. we can go get all the good candy yeah. and see your family and everything. That's why I always saw you in Halloween because either my sister or my mom took me over to my nana's house in the Podunk, Illinois. What are you talking about? Two nights of trick. Oh yeah, no, Auburn. No, small towns around here had two nights yeah. of trick or treating. Every year, uh, Auburn. Auburn. We had two. Auburn. It was what? two nights. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they they don't do that anymore. 
I, I didn't grow up here, so I I really I mean I know in have Auburn, never heard did. of this. Oh yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Nights. Oh, it was great. Oh yeah, no, you got to have two costumes if you wanted to. I'm oh, yeah. so mad at my childhood right now. <laughs> Auburn, uh, Vernon, like mm. I, I I remember we and Palmyra even had two nights at trick or treating, which was really weird. Like it was like this. It was like the small town thing to do because a when you're a small town, especially like fucking Palmyra, Illinois, which only had. At the time, it's, I don't know what it is now, but at the time, yeah. had only a population of 732 people. Of course you had two nights of mm -hmm. Halloween because you didn't want the kids going around terrorizing the town because they were bored. Yeah. So they gave mm -hmm. you they gave your ass two, two nights of, to just go and go collect candy. Because let me tell you, though, there are people, there were kids who did terrorize the town. Do you know how many times the police station in Auburn got TP'd so bad that they had to talk to all of us, like, you know, about Wait, well, not doing that? Do you not remember that? Fuck no. Yeah, no. The police station got TP'd so bad. Even though I'm like, y'all know damn well like, you're I'm like third or fifth grade. My ass is in bed at 9 o'clock. Well, because my parents forced me, but of course, you know, Hershey bars, dark chocolate. Yeah, you've always been a fan of dark chocolate. Me and my dad both are. We mm -hmm. fucking. Oh, he would always get like the small little bag of like mixture of little Hershey bars. I always try to hurry up and dig out the dark. I don't know before he gets to yes. it. All my no, brothers and stepbrothers and sisters went grow up because yeah, I grew up with like three other step siblings, and they were all obsessed with Hershey's. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was the only one who wanted the dots. They get, I traded my Hershey's for dots. Yeah. I yeah. wanted dots, but. Like, I had all kinds of favorites. Or Reese's, so I, not Hershey's. Reese's. I like yeah. Dots, Reese's, Twizzlers, Nerd. What was yours? Um, yeah. Well, my favorite Halloween candy is, like, a tie between candy in general. is a tie between Kit Kat and Twix. Those Ooh. are, like, my go-to candy bars. Mm. And, like, when I got those in my bag, I was so fucking happy. Oh, yeah. Kit Kats were amazing. Yeah. But if y'all gave me fucking Raisinets... Oh my god! House. Not raisinets, but like the little packs of raisins. Okay, those those yeah, I get it. I'm I like, no, those. but don't have raisinets. raisinets. I like raisinets, but the little I'm packs like, of raisins. Just raisins and like fucking oh, in your house. Yeah, better than a box <laughs> I of floss. floss. Pop hey, floss. I would really rather take the floss. Some I house, there was there was this house in Auburn. I went to it one year. And Where at? what's it look like? I probably know. It was across the street from the elementary school, right there Is on the corner. Is it that great big gray it, one? It's the great big gray one. Oh! They handed out caramel or candy apples every year. Dude, I always thought that place was That was the only house in town that handed so out full-fledged either candy or caramel apples. And that, oh, Dude, I, I always look forward to going there. Every time I would go swinging on the swings, for some reason, I always stared at that house just waiting for something to <laughs> it just to just, me it's uh, not like I'm like that place is probably hot. It's huge, it's right? <laughs> Roy grew up in Roy Memphis. Roy student from Yeah, Roy <laughs> grew up in Memphis. We've known Memphis. him for almost 7 years. But I was born here. He was. So he is technically a Springfieldian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was born in Dallas. So but I'm... what was Halloween like in Memphis for you? Um, what was your favorite places to do? What memories do you have? I mean, we really didn't go too far out of the neighborhood that we were in just because where I lived in Memphis, pretty much everyone on the street and the neighborhood surrounding us was always doing Halloween. And it was a big variety of what you would get. Some people would have you know, full candy bars. Some people would, you know, literally hand out boxes of floss to kids. 
And <laughs> I mean, they didn't, they didn't get egged, but I mean, no one ever went back to the house after. <laughs> <either, so. laughs> the house gives out floss. Don't go that way. Yeah, the word spreads quickly still. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I, I know that uh, Memphis was a pretty lively place for Halloween, but as far as growing up there and going as a kid, it was the streets were packed of of kids, yeah. but we all stayed in our neighborhoods pretty much just because everybody was participating. Well, it is quite fitting that we're talking about candy because uh -huh. my story actually has to do with candy. Um, so did your did your parents check your candy when you were kids? Yes. After you yeah. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. Let me check your candy. I gotta make sure it's safe. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. And the reason for that is this story called The Candyman. And I'm not talking about Tony Todd, that Candyman. I'm talking about the man who killed Halloween, a.k.a. Ronald Clark O'Brien. So this happened in 1974. And pop quiz, do, does anybody know what the most popular Halloween candy in 1974 was? Caramel apples. No. Oh, I'm going to say some shit like Razzles. No. <laughs> Razzles. That's like 80s. That's like 80s. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't alive, so I don't know. No, it was Blow Pops. Blow Pops. Oh, yeah. I love Blow Pops, damn it. Mm. So, okay, that makes you. sense. All right, Ronald O'Brien lived with his wife, Danine. That's how you say it? I don't know. But um, in Deer Park, Texas, with their two children, eight-year-old Timothy and five-year-old Elizabeth. O'Brien was an optician, optician, sorry, at Texas State Optical in Houston. He was a deacon at the Second Baptist Church, because not, why not the first? I don't know. Um, but uh, he also sang in choir there, and he was in charge of the local bus program. And on October 31st, 1974, O'Brien took his kids trick-or-treating. Normal, normal Halloween night, you know, nothing, nothing wrong. They were in Pasadena, Texas. Uh, joining them was O'Brien's neighbor, Jim Bates, and his young son. I think he had one or two kids at home. So Timothy wore a Planet of the Apes costume, which mm -hmm. if you know anything about 70s. Um, oh, I mean, Halloween yeah, costume, that was a very popular time. time they were the the 70s Halloween costumes were the creepiest looking fucking costumes Wait. ever. So, so what are you houses? talking about? The Planet of the Apes costumes? Oh, honey, they're awful. I gotta see it though. The costumes of the seventies were all terrifying. You can describe it all you want, but I gotta see it. But I will say this: <laughs> nothing is as terrifying as the fucking masks that you saw in the eighteen hundreds that were made. So, but anyway, continue. Sorry. One of the houses the group approached had all of its lights switched off, but the kids banged on the door anyway because they're kids. Because the vague promise of candy was too enticing for them. But there was no answer. Either the occupants were hiding or there was just nobody home. So growing impatient, the kids ran off to find another house and Jim followed. However, Ronald was left alone. Who's Jim? Hold Jim on. Jim is their neighbor. Okay. Ronald, the dad of okay. Timothy and Elizabeth. So Ronald wasn't there. Ronald was there. The kids ran off and he was still at the house. The house that wasn't lit up? Yes. So he eventually... Well, that's his own problem. He should know better not to go to a house that's not lit up. <laughs> the kids did it, not him. Well, um, he was there supervising the kids. He said, say, sorry, don't go to that dude, house. It's not lit what? up. They're going to run off. Um, what that is creepy as fuck. Hell? Okay, anyway, continue. So he eventually Night caught up... everybody. <laughs> he eventually caught up with the group and produced five 21-inch pixie sticks, which he would later claim to... He was giving 
They were given to him by the occupants of the house. That's what he claimed. So, um, at the end of the evening, O'Brien gave each of his neighbors a pixie stick. No, it's not that. Children. One he gave to his son. Uh, he gave one to his neighbor and his son and one to take home to his neighbor's other kid. So he also gave the fifth pixie stick to a 10-year-old boy whom he recognized from church. And um, bonus points, they only went trick-or-treating for like 30 minutes. This was the neighbor. No. This was the dad. The dad. That gave the pixie yes. sticks. And he claims he got them from the house with no lights. That's what he claims, yes. Okay. Okay, so they only went trick-or-treating for 30 minutes because it started raining. Which, when I was a kid, when it started raining, you just kept on trick-or-treating. Yeah, you just, got, we did you just busted out your fucking umbrella. Yep. Candy was umbrella. worth it. You, yeah. didn't, you didn't. So, uh, before bed, Timothy asked to eat some candy from what he collected. And according to Ronald, he chose the pixie stick. Timothy had trouble getting the powdered candy out of the straw, so it was, like, stuck. And so, Ronald helped him, like, shake it loose. And then... He, he ate the whole thing, and he said it tasted bitter. It tasted weird. Mm. And so Ronald was like, okay, well, I'm going to get you some Kool-Aid, and I'll help you wash it down, and you can go to bed, whatever. Hmm. So, Uh-oh. Yeah. So Timothy immediately began to complain that his stomach hurt and ran to the bathroom, where he began vomiting and convulsing. O'Brien later claimed that he held Timothy while he was vomiting, and the child went limp in his arms. Timothy O'Brien died en route to the hospital less than an hour after consuming the candy. Oh, my God. So a medical examiner, um, I forgot his name. I forgot to write it down. Uh, he was called in, and he said it was just really weird. This eight-year-old kid just died from after eating a pixie stick. And so the medical examiner asked the coroner what the child's breath smelled like. And the coroner said, almonds. Now, anybody who knows anything about cyanide knows that almonds, or that cyanide smells like almonds, and only 70% of the population can smell it. It's like it's like cilantro. Like, some people think it tastes like soap, some people think it tastes like whatever the fuck cilantro is supposed to taste like, because I taste soap. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's divisive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Harris It's a County, genetic thing. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Harris County Prosecutor Mike Hinton said that it was just a coincidence that he was working the police intake that night. Decades later, on the phone from Houston, he said that he got a call, or I got a call from the Pasadena Police Department, and they told me that an eight-year-old boy had died. He was rushed to the hospital, but he had already passed, and that's whenever the medical examiner was contacted. He called the, the coroner and asked all that stuff. Okay, so Timothy's death from poisoned Halloween candy raised fear in the community. Numerous parents in Deer Park and the surrounding area turned in candy their children got from trick-or-treating to the police, fearing that it was laced with poison. The police did not initially suspect O'Brien of any wrongdoing until Timothy's autopsy revealed that the pixie stick he had consumed was laced with a fatal dose of potassium cyanide. Four of the five pixie- Oh, those pixie sticks had cyanide in it. Yes. You know, some kids just can't hold their arsenic. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> they had it coming. Four of the five pixie sticks O'Brien claimed to have received were recovered by authorities from other children, none of whom um, had consumed the candy, thankfully. The parents of the fifth child became hysterical when they could not locate the candy after being notified by the police. 
The parents rushed upstairs to find their son asleep, holding the unconsumed candy because he was not strong enough to get the staple off of the straw. Oh, thank goodness. Um, So thank God he didn't eat the candy. Oh, my gosh. All five of the Pixie Sticks had been opened with the top two inches refilled with cyanide powder and resealed with a staple. According to a pathologist who tested the pixie stick, the candy consumed by Timothy contained enough cyanide to kill two adults, while the other four candies contained enough to kill three to four adults. That's why Timothy died so quickly. And so, Timothy's dad dad, is the one who got this from the house that that the lights weren't on. Yes, yes. Okay. I have a question, and, I'm, and please forgive me if you did say this and I missed it. When they went to the house, like, you said the kids gave up knocking. They left. Mm-hmm. So He's, we're just assumed that apparently someone did come to the door while the father was still there? Yes. Oh, this father is sus. Uh-huh. Okay. So O'Brien initially told police that he could not remember which house he got the pixie stick from. Police became suspicious because O'Brien and his neighbor had only taken their children to homes on two streets because it had been raining. So their suspicions increased after learning that none of the homes they visited had given out pixie sticks. Hmm. After walking the neighborhood with police three times, O'Brien led them to the home where no one had answered the door. O'Brien claimed that he went back there before catching up with the group. He said the owner of the home did not turn the lights on, but did crack the door open and handed him five pixie sticks. He claimed to have only seen the man's arm, which he described as hairy. The home was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin. Melvin was an air traffic controller at William P. Hobby Airport in Houston and did not get home from work until 11 p.m., and um, so it was proven he was at work during this time frame. Yep, I'll get to that in just a minute. Oh, that's even more sus. The plot thickens. So right? police automatically uh, ruled Melvin out as a suspect whenever they went to his work. They went to his work and actually arrested him. But they had he had over 200 alibi or 200 witnesses that he was there. Because this is a fucking airport. There's so many people working there. Like, Especially always. since, yeah. I mean, and, and on top of that, like, if he's in, if, if he's worked for aircraft traffic control, his voice is going over the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Melvin did say that his wife and daughter were home, but they had ran out of can- a candy, so they turned the lights off and were probably, like, ignoring any knocks on the door because they were out of candy. So, Ronald, it transpires, had written a song about Jesus and Timothy joining the Lord in heaven and had grown agitated when his grieving family wouldn't stay up late to watch a recording of the performance being broadcast on television. What? Wait. What? Wait. Say that one more time. I'm sorry. So, he wrote a song about Jesus and his kid going to heaven, and he got mad when his family wouldn't stay up late to watch a recording of the performance being broadcast on television. A performance of his of the song that he wrote? Yes. About the child? Was he singing the go, performance yeah. of the song? This so, is a real story? Yes. Are you what kidding? is his name? What? What is his Ronald. name? So, Hidden, our, um, our police investigator or whatever, um, he said, something strange was going on. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Well, there's um, something strange. Yeah. In the neighborhood. Just, 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 just,
Ronald Brian. O'Brien. O'Brien. Sorry. O'Brien. Okay, so as their investigation progressed, police learned that, and here's here's the kicker. Okay, so police learned that O'Brien was over a hundred thousand dollars, equivalent to five hundred twenty thousand dollars today, in debt, and he had a history of being unable to hold a job. In the past ten years preceding the crime, O'Brien had twenty-one jobs, which Jesus Christ! Holy crap! I in mean, ten years. I could like a lot. At the time of his arrest, he was suspected of theft at his job at Texas State Optical and was close to being fired. His car was about to be repossessed. He had defaulted on several bank loans, and the family home had been foreclosed on. Police discovered that O'Brien had taken out a life insurance policy on his kids the month before, um, about January. Oh, the month. Of course of he. Oh, uh, well, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, ring a ding, ding. Uh, about $10,000 each, which in today's money is about $52,000. So one month before Timothy's death, O'Brien took out an additional $20,000 policy on both kids, despite the objections of his life insurance agency. In the days preceding Timothy's death, O'Brien had taken out yet another $20,000 on each kid, and the various policies totaled approximately $60,000. O'Brien's wife maintained that she did not know about the insurance policies on her children's lives. Police also learned on the morning after Timothy's death, O'Brien had called his insurance company to inquire about collecting on the policies that he had taken out on his son. No. The morning after his kid died. No. Yes, he calls. No. Should they still have funeral costs? Yeah, I guess they have funeral costs. My mom had an insurance policy on me for quite a while now. I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, After learning that O'Brien had visited a chemical supply store in Houston to buy cyanide shortly before Halloween, he left without purchasing anything after learning the smallest amount available to purchase was five pounds. I was going to say, how how do you just buy cyanide? This was the 70s. Uh, I guess. Did they use it for rat poison? So they did find it. They did find that he purchased cyanide. Yeah. I mean, hell, 70s, you can... Fucking get on a plane with fucking pound of coke on you without yeah. fucking getting caught. Uh, well, that's because they didn't have metal detectors or a fucking exactly. That's X-ray what. Yeah, machines. I, I was that's saying, it. they could like, probably get it anyway. We had it, but we didn't have it as much as we do now until after 9-11. I was going to say pre-9-11. Yeah. Pre-9-11. Yeah. Pre-9-11. So police began to suspect that Ronald O'Brien had laced the candies with poison in an effort to his <laughs> children to collect on their life insurance policies. Uh, they believed that he gave the other children poison candy in an effort to cover up his crime. Police repeatedly questioned O'Brien, but he maintained his innocence. Granted a warrant, a search of the O'Brien house offered up a pair of scissors with plastic residue attached, which was similar to that found on the cyanide laced sweets. O'Brien was arrested and taken in for questioning. Um, as the investigation continued, the evidence started to stack up against Ronald. It turned out that O'Brien was going to community college and in class he would ask his professor questions like, what is more lethal, cyanide or another type of poison? Why the fuck would somebody ask that? I know, that's like Voldemort asking Slughorn uh, about the Horcrux. Oh my God. And say if I wanted to split them into seven. (laughs) But he was also asking like how much cyanide would it take to kill us like a small animal, like about the size of his kid. Oh my God. Like. So fucked up. Fucking. 
So another witness, <sighs> another witness who worked for a chemical company in Houston, told police that a man had come in to buy some cyanide, but left after being told the smallest amount he could buy was five pounds. Again, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, five pounds of cyanide? He what, what? For what though? Like, yeah. it, was it was it rat poison? What? Yeah, well, a lot of like a lot of rat poison and like animal repellent and stuff like that. But like, but 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 five pounds it didn't of cyanide. Raise any red flags? Five no. pounds of cyanide. Why? I why would you? You work for pest control. I no no no. What I'm trying. Yeah. I'm more getting at the, his logic. He wanted to buy more than five pounds of cyanide. Well, no, because the smallest that he could buy, he didn't want that much. Oh, oh. Yeah, he didn't want that much. He just needed enough to kill his. Kid. Sorry, I misunderstood the assignment. So. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> so O'Brien was an optician. That was exactly the uniform he wore to work. He, had to, he wore his fucking uniform in to, like, you know, buy the cyanide. Why does an optician need cyanide? <laughs> okay. So at the time, all right, still this was years before DNA testing and contactless debit cards, and police couldn't put the pixie stick in Ronald's hand or prove that he bought any cyanide. So the 30-year-old optician maintained his innocence. Hinton remembers the case vividly in the de uh, decades that have passed. His memories have remained sharp. O'Brien adored the attention, he said. I think he even loved it during the trial. Ronald entered a not guilty plea with his defense blaming the tainted candy on some untraceable boogeyman, a sick individual using the cover of Halloween to poison unsuspecting children. You mean you, Ronald? You're the boogeyman. All testified against the man um, the press was now calling the Candyman. And on June 3rd, 1975, it took just 46 minutes for a jury to return a guilty verdict for one charge of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. An hour later, it was decided that Ronald would be executed by electric chair. Now, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, at the time, men sentenced to death under Texas law were confined to the LSI unit near Huntsville, Texas. According to Reverend Carol Pickett, a former chaplain who worked for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, O'Brien was shunned and despised by his fellow death row inmates for killing his child and was absolutely friendless. Because if you kill a kid and you go to prison, like, good luck. Yeah, you gotta get out of there. Uh, the inmates reportedly petitioned to hold an organized demonstration on O'Brien's execution date to express their hatred of him. O'Brien's first execution date was set for August 8, 1980. His attorney successfully petitioned for a stay of execution. A second date was scheduled for May 25, 1982. That date was also postponed. Judge Michael McSpadden scheduled a third execution date for October 31, 1982 the eighth anniversary of the crime, and he offered to personally drive O'Brien to the death chamber. It was to have been uh, the first time since uh, Texas executed an inmate by lethal injection. The Supreme Court delayed the date yet again to give O'Brien a chance to pursue an appeal to seek a new trial, which, fuck you, dude. A fourth date was scheduled for March 31st, 1984, O'Brien's lawyers sought a fourth stay on the basis that lethal injection was a cruel and unusual punishment. On March 28th, a federal judge rejected the request, and on March 31st, 1984, shortly after midnight, O'Brien was execu um, executed by lethal injection at the Huntsville unit. In his final statement, O'Brien maintained his innocence, stating that he felt the death penalty was wrong 
He added, I forget, but it's okay to kill your kid. That's yeah, why I'm for the death penalty in certain situations like this one. Can I ask you something though? Mm-hmm. I know that the, the 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 weird situations. I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate here, okay? The weird situations leading up to this event of the child's death and everything like that may swoon to the fact that he did it. Mm-hmm. But what if he didn't? He did. They found the. Scissors in his house that say. had plastic, burnt plastic on them. They found a knife that had powder cyanide on it in his house. Oh, unless there I was didn't hear that. Yeah. some, unless there was some, you know, super professional, you know, person that's setting him up or framing him. Right. There, there would be no way, and I don't see any reason for anybody I mean, we to see, do that either. We, we, um, um, so say we've seen spy movies that do that. Yeah. We see lots of yeah. setups. Yeah. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Some well, people, some people, you know, we we we. There's been a lot of movies, and we'll get to this soon. But there's been a lot of horror movies and all that stuff where you see people who get set up in a really, really like very clear way, and it's hard to prove that you were set up. So just, just, but, but. I didn't hear about the other evidence, so I'm going to retract my statement. The motherfucker deserved it. Mm-hmm. So he added, I forgive all, and I do mean all those who have been involved in my death. God bless you all, and may God God's best blessings be always yours. Fuck you. During the execution, a crowd of 300, this is my favorite part. During the execution, a crowd of 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison and cheered well, some yelled trick or treat whenever he was executed. Fucking amazing. Those people wow. are amazing. Others show, showered anti-death penalty demonstrators with candy. They were anti-death, anti-death penalty demonstrators outside. And the people that were cheering his death were like pelting them with fucking Halloween candy. I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah. those are my people. Punk rock. So death well, penalty, I'm a little, I'm not going to, we're not going to talk politics, but yeah. The death penalty and I have some. Uh, I mean, very, very specific situations. Am I like for it? I don't know. For me, for me, it's just like we are humans. We are not to judge who can live or die. Nah, I'm a Satanist, so do as that will. <laughs> Ronald O'Brien is buried in Forest Park, Forest Park East Cemetery. In case you want to go in, uh, uh, Timothy is buried in Forest Park Lawndale Cemetery in Houston. Before and since uh, Deer Park, what? No. Before and since the Deer Park poisoning rumors of dodgy sweets being handed out, uh, they have always surfaced around Halloween. But whether the fear is that the candies contain broken glass, razor blades, or that they're actually ecstasy pills, there's not much evidence to suggest parents actually have anything to worry about. Also, uh, no fucking person, unless they are just fucked up, is going to give away the good drugs to children. Ever. Oh my God! Coming from a stoner, do you know how expensive evitables are? And those who and yeah, and those who make maybe cut back on the evitables. No, this isn't the evitables. This is the wine talking. Um, those who make edibles and those who buy edibles. Yeah, we're not. They're not giving those away. They are taking them themselves to deal with your children. Hey. Okay. They got to deal with your children. They got to deal with so many children coming to their door. Could you imagine a bunch of different wild-ass children coming to your door demanding, give me candy? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so in 2000, a man in Minneapolis was charged with putting needles in Snickers bars he had handed out to trick-or-treaters. But the only victim he claimed was a teenager who got a slight prick from the hidden sharp object. Oh, probably. Since Timothy O'Brien, there hasn't been a single case where a child had died after consuming contaminated Halloween treats. So the wife, uh, Danine, whatever her name is, remarried and said, I don't hate Ronald, I just feel nothing. Her daughter struggles with it, although she knows that her father was going to kill her, too. Um, O'Brien even tried to say that he was the real victim. Like, Ronald O'Brien tried to say that he was the victim. So, the deaths of five children were initially blamed on stranger poisoning. So, we we got this, right? Okay, so there, in 1970, Kevin Toston, a five-year-old boy from the Detroit area, died after finding and eating his uncle's heroin. The family attempted to protect the uncle by claiming the drug had been sprinkled in the child's Halloween candy. In 1978, Patrick Weirdhold, a two-year-old boy from Flint, Michigan, died after eating Halloween candy. However, toxicology tests found no evidence of poison, and his death was determined to be due to natural causes. Weird. Hmm. Um, in 1990, Ariel Katz, a seven-year-old girl in Santa Monica, California, died while trick-or-treating. Early press reports blamed poison candy, despite her parents telling the police that she had previously been diagnosed with a serious medical condition and a large heart, which was the actual cause of her death. Um, God, did people hate trick-or-treating? Mm-hmm. Like, were they really hating trick-or-treating? Mm-hmm. Do you rather, like, do you- just children? So, in 2001, a four-year-old girl in Vancouver, <laughs> Vancouver, British Columbia, died after eating some Halloween candy. However, there was no evidence of poison candy, and she actually died of streptococcus infection. So, strep. Hmm. Um, in 1974, uh, in 1985, the media had driven the hysteria about candy poisoning to such a point that an ABC News Washington Post poll found that 60% of parents feared that their children would be injured or killed because of Halloween candy sabotage. That's Advice that's comes- right. Advice columnists uh, entered the fray during the 80s and 90s with both Ask Ann Landers and Dear Abby warnings, parents of horrors of candy tampering. We have only one story of evidence of, well, two technically, but one story of evidence of. Oh, uh, but the witches can curse the candy. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? As a fucking witch, we don't care about your fucking candy. Have you seen that? I have. <laughs> <laughs> But it found out apparently that woman that does it, it was all a joke. Yeah. But still. That witches are going to curse Halloween candy. We don't care about your kids. We don't care. We don't care. Why would we curse something? No, someone said, why would we curse something that we're going to eat? Right? Yeah. Exactly. I don't want to eat. I'm going to fucking eat, though. I'm So, advice columnists entered the fray. I already said that. In recent years, there have been reports of uh, people with twisted minds putting razor blades and Poison and tacky apples and Halloween candy is no longer safe to let your child eat treats that come from strangers. Fuck up. Somebody's child will become violently ill or die after eating poison candy on an apple container razor blade. Almost all tampering cases at a rate of one or two per year involve a friend or a family member and not some stranger giving out Halloween candy. Um, almost all of these involved sharp objects rather than poisoning. Three quarters of them resulted in no injuries, and the result, the rest resulted in only minor injuries. No child has ever been killed by eating Halloween candy from a stranger. Hmm. 
I know the whole razor blade in the apple. That was actually a myth. That never has actually happened no. yet. Am I right? No one is trying. No one's trying to kill your kids unless they're close to you. So watch those who are close to you. Yeah. Obviously, because someone's own father took out life insurance to kill their children on Halloween with fucking cyanide. Yeah. So on that note. All right. Well, I think that's all for this episode. This ended up being a two-parter. So you'll get this um, today. And then the next one will come out on Halloween. So that's Preston Roy. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, That's Ashley. I'm Sarah. To send us a recommendation for future episodes, email us at thecreepshow18 at gmail.com. And you can also look for us on Facebook, The Creep Show Podcast, and Instagram.